Hello and welcome to the Ambassador Labs podcast, where we explore all things about cloud-native platforms, developer control planes, and developer experience. I'm your host, Daniel Bryant, Director of DevRel here at Ambassador Labs, and today I had the privilege of sitting down with Mario Loria, Senior Site Reliability Engineer from Carter X. Join us for a fantastic discussion covering topics on the developer as a service owner mindset, the collaboration and friction inherent between developers and SREs, and the need for application operational visibility and self-service platforms. And remember, if you want to dive deeper into the motivation for and benefits of a developer control plane or are new to Kubernetes and want to learn in our free Summer of Kubernetes series of events, please visit getambassador.io to learn more. So welcome, Mario. Many thanks for joining us today. Could you briefly introduce yourself and your background, please? <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Mario Loria. Uh, I am currently a senior SRE at Carta X, uh, previously at Carta, previously at StockX, uh, and I've seen many different company uh, industries and, and built Kubernetes clusters in many of them um, and had the pleasure of understanding operations and the developer experience in many of those places. Um, I am pretty active in the Kubernetes community. Uh, I am a CNCF ambassador. Uh, I am certified Kubernetes, um, and I really enjoy both the community and the problems that we're solving in the infrastructure cloud architecture world. And uh, I, I have a specific affinity to a little bit to, to networking uh, <laughs> and load balancing and those those pieces auto scaling, um, but uh, have definitely been going deep diving in security lately as of my Ooh, recent role at Carta X. So I'm really happy to be here. You know, we love the uh, networking at Ambassador Labs, right? Our pedigree is yeah, built on Emissary Ingress and Envoy Proxies. So that's great stuff. Great right. stuff. So could you provide sort of a high level overview of either perhaps the Carter X architecture or architectures you've seen in general? It sounds like you've very much got a, a history in finance and equity management, these kind of things. It'd be great to get an overview of what a standard architecture looks like in that space. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think for the most part, there's a monolith uh, and there are a few microservices that are somewhat being decomped out. Uh, there's still some pieces of that functionality that are, are we're trying to kind of usually pull out of the monolith or make easier to manage within the monolith. Um, and so what actually ends up happening is the monolith stays in a um, sort of its own world. And then we have a new world and the new world mm -hmm. is a from scratch, kind of a Kubernetes world um, with more of a kind of service oriented architecture, not necessarily microservices, some maybe macro services, but the idea is that they have the basic um, building blocks of what they need given by Kubernetes by default, right? And yep. so we get this idea that um, operations employees kind of maybe have to understand this new system, i.e. Kubernetes developers kind of know it exists, but they're more interested in how do I interface and, de and develop and deploy and then long-term mm -hmm. operate. Um, and so in terms of architectures, um, that's the general pattern that we see. I think there's also a lot of things where people are are handling for scale when they don't have any scale yet, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I think there's a lot of yeah. There's a there's a there's a fine line there. Um. So in terms of in terms of like overall architecture, there's generally like a, you know they pick a region that's their key primary region. There's ingress traffic that flows in for whatever yeah. their app or service or platform um, entry point is. There's some front ends that answer that. The front ends work with certain back ends either through an API gateway or or directly or you know a, a hybrid of those. Um, and you might have front end and back end clusters. You might have um, you know one cluster that has everything, maybe namespaced out. Um, and and there's there's many different configurations. There's Xen GraphQL, you know Kafka, um, some service mesh. Like there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things that are kind of uh, tangential to the, those other pieces that they depend on. Um, so that's generally what I've worked in for the most part. I think mm -hmm. my my auto scaling, um, you know, from working in the e-commerce world and in the web hosting world a little bit, uh, auto scaling becomes more of a priority when you when you yep. talk about fintech 
and kind of what we're doing more at Carta, um, the scale is not almost at all an issue. The, the mm. scale actually comes from deploying and shipping features. And so it's more internal on the development side, right? Where they mm. need to be able to uh, QA, right? It's a, it's a much more oh, bigger line yeah. item, if you will. And so there's a bigger focus there on what do disparate environments look like? What does progression look like? What does verification stages look like? So. Ah, super interesting, Mario. Definitely have, uh, several points to dive into there. Um, perhaps going a little bit high level, in your experience in these spaces, are developers empowered to own the full lifecycle of services from that designing to coding through running in prod, or is there some cutoff point there? That's a great question. So <laughs> what, I, what I've seen for the most part is that we think that developers should have that, but in reality, they don't because we actually end up coming to the rescue uh, in most cases when it comes to the uh, either deploy or the operate side of the, the table. Mm -hmm. We come to the rescue as SREs. Right. Um, and what, what happens is that the developers get the sense uh, that basically there's an SRE team and I will ping them whenever there's an issue instead of taking it kind of the, the precipice of handling that on themselves. The, the other side of that is the organization kind of the higher level strategy and, and leadership has to very much agree that this is the line of uh, delineation where we're going to say a service owner is a developer, they own the service from start to finish, right? And, and so I think there's two parts. It really depends on the organization. It really depends on the developers and where they're coming from and their yeah. history. The other part of this is that I think SREs take for granted the power of education in many organizations. And so we do end up not educating. We end up saying, mm -hmm. look in the repo. And mm -hmm. so that intuitiveness is not there, that UX is not there. And so we, we think that developers should have more of a handle on things than they do. And they almost never have remotely that the understanding that you uh, that they really need to, to handle yeah. the services. So what you end up happening is a developer that says, okay, I don't know, my pods are restarting. I don't really know what's going on. Mm. Like, all I know is that I know QCTL get pods and then they say, okay, well now I need an SRE. And that's where you get uh, influx of tickets and ad hoc requests for SRE teams that say, well, you know, okay, well, this is completely broken. You completely broke that. And that's it. The end of it is I fixed it for you. It's done. And the developers happy and can move on doing what they were doing in the first place. Um, but we actually haven't solved anything long term, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the issue, the issue is still there, the fundamental like education, understanding uh, too much, um, not too much power, but too much impetus of, uh, you know, putting, putting the developer in the driver's seat and saying, okay, here you go. But they have, they only have an experience with, uh, you know, a Chevy, and we're giving them a McLaren to drive, yeah. right? And so <laughs> it's a very different world. And so uh, that generally, from what I've seen, like, I think what more companies are moving to, and I think Netflix might have started this model, or I'm sure it's been around for a while, but where we say we're actually going to let developers do a lot more. We're going to mm -hmm. let them use any tool they want. Like in this example, go ahead, use telepresence, right? It solves mm -hmm. a very simple networking problem. Do your hybrid deployment or development um, and, you know, go and just move, innovate, do what you need to do. And you are taking the tool on yourself. And so mm -hmm. as a developer, I'm saying I'm using telepresence. So now the buck stops at me. I'm not going to SRE for help because SRE didn't tell me to use telepresence. They're not supporting a local telepresence, you know, self-service or anything like that. Right. So um, they're self-hosted version. So I think the what I'm starting to see is, de is developers being more willing to take these things on. Mm. But we need us needing to provide them a 
surface area, the visibility and the understanding of what their actions and the repercussions of what they're doing, how those uh, kind of ripple through the rest of the organization and, and uh, you know, really the platform. So how mm -hmm. does me pushing this code, changing this feature and using this new tool actually impact the overall platform, right? Is GraphQL going to get overloaded? Am I going to hurt other yep. services? Am I stepping out of bounds of where we kind of expect our API versions to be working, right? Like, mm -hmm. so there's a lot yeah. of questions that kind of come up there. Um, so I think for the most part, the way I kind of operate and the way we're working at Cardax is that we want to empower developers and shift left and actually give them the ability to make more decisions and do more autonomously, um, but with a interactive self-service, self-sufficient sort of experience into the more complex pieces of the operations side. So that, you know, that's the reducing toil and all the other things that yeah, we yeah. talk about. So um, I'll, I'll stop there. I feel like I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, that's great, man. No, great context. And as I was listening to you there, I clearly heard the education piece. That's so powerful. I think like for developers, for SREs, always sort of paying it forward and sharing the knowledge, particularly when you're asking folks to take on more responsibility, right? I mean, Netflix, right. you mentioned they have this culture of freedom and responsibility, exactly what you've just reiterated, which I think is, is, is well said. I also heard you talking about perhaps baking some of this into the tooling itself. Now, you mentioned telepresence. Thumbs up from us, of course, <laughs> CNCF project, great stuff. Um, have you built any other tools to support this kind of thing? And if so, did you try and bake in some of those, you know, understanding mechanisms, those education mechanisms even? Yeah, um, you know, I will say that the building of tools is actually something that that I have not seen done in most organizations where they're not really building tools to solve these issues. What they're, mm. what they're trying to do is ship, ship out and say, what is out there that solves this for me that gets me 90% of the way. And, and then I'll consider later if I really need that 10%, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have not worked in organizations though, that are doing SRE very, very to, you know, to the Google yeah, standard, yeah. right? And they don't have to, right? You know, we don't all have to copy Google. It's not <laughs> copy paste, right? We're not Google yep. either, right? Like if we're, if we're being real with ourselves. So what I have seen, and this is the nature of where I've worked and I haven't really worked in a lot of the, the bigger tech, maybe more um, modern engineering organizations. You think of the West Coast uh, of yeah, the US. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I have seen is the SRE team is by default this uh, DevOps support organization. And they, they are very much doing the ops. They are not very much doing the dev. And there's this false sort of thinking where, mm. oh, well, they're doing dev because they're writing Terraform. They're writing <laughs> Kubernetes YAML manifest. And so we basically say, well, they're writing config. Config is the dev part of DevOps, right? And mm -hmm. that's actually, I, I think that that is the part where we get caught because instead of them writing, um, I don't want to say scripts, but you know Python automation, let's say operators and controllers in Kubernetes yep. is yep. one great example. Instead of them writing those sorts of things, they think their job is just to maintain in terms of the provisioning side of things, in terms of like making sure your helm is happy um, and, and other pieces like that. And that's kind of what they get locked into because A, they don't have time to go learn how to write a controller. B, they have to maintain. C, they're probably understaffed and overwhelmed already. And, yeah. and D, remember going back to ad hoc requests, my service keeps restarting. I'm just going to go to SRE, right? Yeah, that education yeah. isn't there. You've got developers that have needs. Um, and so the ratio of developers to SREs is growing and growing as, as organizations get larger generally. Now, this is, this is starting to change. I have seen where an SRE team starts as three people. Um, this was actually me at StockX. And then they actually said, okay, we're going to actually make this a platform team, which has kind of subgroups or sub focuses. 
yeah. um, concentrations, I should say, where security, developer experience, uh, cloud infrastructure, right? Let's just say those are three examples. Um, and so they build a platform engineering team that's 10 people, right? And now we have more focus in these areas. We have a line of delineation. You work on this and you work on that and you enjoy that. If they need to cross and mesh and discuss and, and work on a problem as one huge, uh, you know, unique solution for what we're trying to do as an organization, they can do that, right? Um, and so the the big thing there, I think, is it, you're never going to get anything perfect. I think you have to try a lot of things first. I think you have to experiment. There is no, per, you can't just go to the uh, SRE.Google uh, yeah. book and say, okay, I'm just going to do everything here. I think you have okay. to use those, you have to take as much as you can, soak up, um, listen to how other people are approaching some of these problems, and then um, try things in your own organization. Um, but I think that's why, and this is why I preach so much, is I, I think that a lot of it does start with the developer experience and how we think about empowering and the communication patterns that we have with our developers instead of it's their problem it's really our problem because it's mm -hmm. all the mm -hmm. business it's what we're trying to do everyone's trying to do the same thing and if that's if that's broken then that's a whole other issue but that's <laughs> yeah. the way i i think about it so yeah i love it love it i'd like to cover something you mentioned earlier on and sort of summarizing there as well around the shift left responsibility you mentioned developer experience at the end super super important i'm, I'm yeah as a sort of developer ex-developer reluctant operator totally get the developer experience right how important do you think it is for developers to design applications to you know be compatible and also take advantage of modern things like say canary releasing we've talked about that in the context of api gateways in the context of service mesh this kind of thing right Right. You, you need to think about observability from almost day one if you're doing that as a developer, right? And that traditionally has been more of an SRE ops type thing. I'm kind of mm -hmm. curious, at, yeah, how you how important you think it is for developers to to really understand this kind of stuff to shift left? Yeah, going back to ownership, when we talk about that, I think what what we fundamentally are saying is it should not be up to me as an SRE to define how your application gets deployed or at yep. what point it needs to be rolled back or at what point it needs to be changed or uh, when its health check should be modified, right? It's not up to me as an SRE to do that. So if we're saying the developer owns that, then henceforth, we're saying that the developer has to be involved in when I go to release this as a uh, canary release in production, what are the values? What right, what feature flags do I have enabled? Uh, mm -hmm. What is the percentages? What is the timing that we're gonna, you know, retries, timeouts, things like that, right? Uh, and so, I think the best thing that we can do as SREs is to implement the platform. Um, I hate the word platform; it's overloaded. <laughs> um, implement the back end. I like to I like to think of this like the back, the front end is the area that the developer is touching, and mm -hmm. that front end enables back end things to happen. Right, back end things like you could think of like a back end is like the SRE team. We control node groups, right? There should never be a developer that needs oh, gotcha, to gotcha. With EPS, pure infrastructure right? kind of controls. Exactly, pure infrastructure. Yeah, core services maybe. Um, so, as an SRE, what can I what can I you know install and provide and uh, you know provide the uh, the tooling for to to leverage? So, an example of this, you know, you're talking about Canary. We would handle making service mesh a thing. And, and I think people get caught up in what service mesh do I use? How do I interact with it? All of those pieces. At the end of the day, when I'm when you're a developer, uh, Daniel, you don't actually care about what if it's Linkerd or Istio, like that doesn't yeah. even matter to you, right? At the end of the day, you just need to canary your, 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 your service, right? And you need to do it safely. You need to know what your controls are. You need to know what the workflow looks like. And you need to know what is the kill switch, uh, you know, if I have an issue, you need to understand where you get your metrics. 
you need to understand how to what the metrics mean, uh, yeah. logs um, and other pieces, and really have like a holistic view of what's actually going on with your service. And so let's zoom in on that front end. This is where I think uh, you know Backstage, Ambassador DCP, many other solutions are coming. Mm -hmm. That's the front end. That is, and and that mm. should be a gateway to understanding these back end components, right? And and so if Linkerd is is showing that you know we're we've got retries going on, that needs to be surfaced to de the developer, right? Do they need to have yeah, Linkerd yeah. installed on their laptop and know the fourteen commands to figure out all the 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 status of their service? Not they shouldn't have to, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so how do we provide that information in a, a more easier to digest? Uh, more uh, applicable and relative way to what they're trying, what their challenge is, what they're trying to do. So all of this is to say a developer has a different set of requirements and what they are trying, you know, how they're approaching a problem and what the outcome is that they're looking for mm -hmm. than I do. And yes. so we have to plan and scale and design for that. And if we don't, this is where we have developers that we tell them, hey, you need to install the kubectl, you need to set up your kubeconfig, you need to install these tools, this is how you switch context, this is what a namespace is. Because yeah, most yeah. of them have, have a, a messed up kind of view of what a namespace is because of how namespaces actually work in the Overloaded worm, yeah. network namespaces, right? So, yeah. so um, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before, like, you know, my services, my pods are just kind of subtly restarting or dying. I don't know what's going on. Um, they can look in, you know, you can give them Q QCTL all day, but at some point they're going to reach a, you know, they're going to talk to you. They're, they're going to ping your team. They're going to say, yeah, yeah. SRE, I need your support. And so, um, I'm not saying that that should never, ever happen, that they should never talk to you. I'm saying that we can provide tools that make them feel like the, and, and give them the confidence that they can actually do whatever they need to do. If there is an issue, they can roll back, right? If, if there yeah, is yeah. A, a key SLI, they know what that mm -hmm. is and understand how it's generated, right? So I think uh, that's why I love, you know, kind of what DCP and, and you, your, your resources, blog post, your copy has been fantastic in highlighting, um, against code ship run. And yeah, I think yeah. about it, develop, deploy, operate, right? It's the yeah, same thing. Yeah. It's these three, three tenants. So. Yeah. I like it a lot. What do you think the implications are for this shared tooling? Cause I think I've heard you say you've got the front end, the back end, there needs to be shared abstractions to some degree, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. So what do you think works? You mentioned DCP backstage, the view, what do you think is missing in this space? Maybe it's a tooling thing. Maybe it's some standards. Maybe it's shared education amongst dev, SRE, and ops. Because sometimes that feels like cats and dogs, right? And <laughs> we, we don't kind right. of like communicate properly. I'm kind of curious what your, what your thoughts are there, Mario. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Um, what I actually think is the thing that my mind jumps out at is centralization of information. Um, mm. So... The reason for that is that there's four, there's four different systems that we you know let's say we give our developers right there might be Argo there might be of course GitHub or, or GitLab uh, there might be Datadog or Grafana um, yep. it might be Graylog um, yeah yeah you know there might be other pieces of the you know there there might be uh, a few other services that we say they can log in like Goldilocks and get their resource requests or other little things that they seldom use um, but we we help tell them hey here's the domain it's available go use it, right? And I think there's a sprawl and it's not as much tool sprawl as much just like cognitive load mm, in the terms of deploying, developing, deploying and uh, operating, right? And so to do all of these things, you know, if you think of someone you just onboarded to the team, 
they now the the barrier they have to the, the mountain they have to climb to actually <laughs> understand how we manage our services end to end is just is massive and so i think you know going back to kind of the front end um uh and how we uh, maybe maybe like a single pane of glass sort of thing where uh, instead of having all of these different places to look or to tune or to try and understand what's going on, we need to be able to link out effectively to a runbook, right? To yeah, a yeah. Datadog dashboard, right? To uh, uh, you know whatever other resource it might be that the application uh, is reporting to or that we depend on for handling canaries, right? Um, the more that we ask developers to jump from one thing to another, the, the more tedious it becomes. So a good example of this is CI split with CD. So CI yeah. might be circle CI and the CD is Jenkins, right? And so, um, at, you know, one of my previous organizations, Jenkins, you'd go in there and there was no standard. There was no, it was basically, <laughs> we stood up Jenkins and we yeah, said, yeah. here you go, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and what you got is the sprawl and as a newcomer, you start looking at this, you're like, how did this even get to this level? <laughs> and so um, I'm not saying the SRE should then roll out standards. I'm saying that there should be a, like a, a general guideline and best practices that are, are, are culminated to help, again, centralize some of the best knowledge, um, make decisions that, that apply to uh, and fit best for what the organization is trying to do, again, and their scale, not, not too, not too yep. far. Um, and then ensure that everyone's kind of on the same page of this is what you can do. If you want to step out, there's no problem with that. Again, you own your service. You can do whatever you'd like with your service. Um, but there are going to be some elements that if you are running in our platform, um, this is kind of uh, the, the way that things are optimized for, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think, you know, what still works, what's missing. I think a lot of the tools that we're talking about, the new things coming out, right? Whether it's uh, operators for managing databases, or um, you know other things that make Helm a little bit easier to digest. Uh, Argo is an amazing tool, right? None of these things have actual like they're they're not bad. They're they're not bad in any way. The thing that's bad is when we don't actually understand the value they provide in the overall pipeline of what we're trying to achieve and how to leverage them in in the best way for what our organization is trying to achieve at a, at a higher level, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So hopefully right. I kind of answered the question. Yeah, it does. And you know, as you were talking, it made me think sort of going back to some of the Netflix stuff. And I've heard the Spotify folks say this as well about this notion of a golden path or a paved mm -hmm. road, paved path, there's a bunch of names for it. Yep. And is that something you would aspire to within Carter X or other places in, as in, like you say, you can always break glass if you want to and do your own thing, but you're fully responsible for that, right? But you as an SRE team, as a platform team, have this golden path. You may even have templates for applications, crank the handle, out pops a dummy app. Then you just, you know, it's connected into observability, to CI, to CD, developers to fill in the business logic. Is it something you would aspire to, that kind of golden path? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and my goal, actually, and, and this is kind of going to like thinking as a product team, if SRE is a product team. Ooh, my goal is that that product is so good that there is no reason for them to need to do anything else. I'm so so I'm not going to come down and say this isn't like I'm not going to be VP of engineering or something and say like you have to use this because it's what SRE provides necessarily. If there's uh, requirements from a security standpoint or from a organizational standpoint for you know like in our world FINRA SEC, yep, yep. um sure right they, like the developers aren't going to actively want to go against that right they they're part of the organization <laughs> they want us to succeed they need to know about those things and they're going to try to implement them to the best of their abilities. Um, but I think the 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 thing that I like to imagine is 
as an SRE, we are releasing a product. That product mm -hmm. is the platform as a service, if you will, the pass yep, that yep. we are saying, this is what you have. Um, and we've tried to build it with you in mind, with the company in mind, with our business logic in mind. Um, please help us make it better. Please help us yeah, totally. determine how your services need to work and how things uh, need to progress and how GraphQL should be configured and what the scale is. Like, please help us. Let's work together and make this platform. Because, you know, the platform, it's like buying a Xbox Series X and having no games for it, right? The hardware is <laughs> fantastic. It's super <laughs> exciting um, and maybe a, a little bit overpriced, at least right now. But <laughs> it's not really anything unless you have the games and the software to yeah. actually use it effectively. And, and that is the services that run on top our, our clusters. So uh, yeah, going back to the, the kind of the golden path, um, I think that is a model that we try to think about of, you know, what is what is the developer, if they're thinking about the ingress and um, some headers that they have to deal with, like, what do they get with our platform that they can do that they can maybe tune just a couple of things and get what they need to do? What mm. is that experience like for them? And, and can they get the features that they're looking for um, in that vein, or are they going to start looking at other solutions? And so have we failed there or are, are we actually fine because we don't really want developers doing that in the long run? That's kind of an organizational thing that we, we think about, right? And so mm -hmm. that is also how we make decisions on what to prioritize, which is a whole nother discussion. So <laughs> interesting, interesting. Maybe switching gears a little bit, right? As you're abstracting some of this Kubernetes complexity away, the CNCF is obviously fantastic. You and I both love it. We all love the CNCF, right? But there is an incentive there to have more projects, right? Every KubeCon I go to, there's more and more things popping up. How do you think that approach scales? Like as, as you know, there's more choice for us as engineers, right? But then there's more, it's the paradox of choice sometimes. There's more complexity. Right. Any right. thoughts, perhaps with your CNCF ambassador hat on and with it off as well, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I actually watched, uh, in downtown Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, uh, the kind of the tech hub of Michigan, uh, if you will, there was a presentation from one of the people who designed Apple's, uh, product and go, kind of go to market strategy, maybe more nice. on the marketing side of how we advertise what we've got. And something that he reinforced to me is that one of the, the, um, brilliant pieces of what Apple has to offer is the simplicity and the options that you choose. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, be, before the iPhone XR and other models, right. You know, three or four models, there was just an iPhone mm -hmm. and it was the iPhone six, right. There, there wasn't really many different models with the MacBooks. There was, um, you know, there's, there's two or three models of the MacBook, right. And it's pretty simple. There's a couple of little things once you pick your model, but that's it, mm -hmm. you know? And so that simplicity, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people would say, well, that forces me into a model, but the other side of that is, it satisfies 90 plus percent of what people need, right? And they actually have less of a cognitive load of trying to decide what they really want, what, what they have to buy. If you go to Lenovo's page right now, I guarantee you there's at least <laughs> eight tiles of different laptops and you can customize each one. And it's like, I don't even understand what, I just need a computer that works really well for like mm -hmm. you know some photo editing stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So to your question, I think that it's better to have choice in this world. There's, there's a lot of nuances or there's a lot of rabbit holes that we can go down in anything we're trying to trying to do. We talked earlier about we had a node that actually was uh, tainted in our in our in our Kubernetes cluster. And we actually found out because a daemon set couldn't de deploy to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we I, I told my team about, you know, there's a tool node problem detector that can actually kind of solve this problem. But there's actually like probably at least five, probably more if I search GitHub. Yeah. ways to solve this problem or tools that people have built that are, that are automations 
that uh, that kind of find these and then pull them out of the cluster by default, right? And so what I what I think is when you are going to this is on the team when you you know as a team are saying we have to solve a problem i think it's really important to write out first write out what is the problem description yeah why, yep. why are we trying to solve the problem how does fixing the problem actually like if we say the problem is fixed and then we like look look to a year later or whatever and the problem's fixed how does what does that mean for us what is the impact yep. um and in solving that problem there's one solution you're not going to pick like you're not going to i'm not gonna, we're not going to install all five of the solutions that are on github right we're going to install one of them and so i think in this in this case because there are so many different needs and wants and backgrounds of the teams that are managing e-commerce platforms and fintech platforms um, and you know web hosting platforms, right, uh, or security platforms, they're all very different. And because of those differences, mm -hmm. we have so many options that solve things in different ways. And I think that's actually better because you zoom into the problem and you say, "How do I solve this problem?" And then you look at what's out there, and then you play around a little bit. And you actually learn. You end up learning a lot yeah. more than you would if there was just one solution, right? If there's one solution, it's like, well, this is this is how I have to do it. I don't have an option. And you actually end up seeing, oh, wow, that did that, that this way. Does that actually impact, um, you know, other ways that we are trying to solve the problem or other things that we want to do maybe in the future? Or is that going to plug in with Service Mesh? Like you have a lot of considerations here. And by having those options, you can see, you can take a step back and say, this is the world. Like this mm, is how like the cloud native ecosystem has understood these problems in the FinTech world. Let's say zooming in, there's the FinOps Foundation, all of that. Um, Here's what what this is. This is really interesting. Let me learn more about that. Let me play with that. Let's let's test drive that and figure out why they chose to do it that way. Um, an example of this would be a really quick example. Nginx Ingress, uh, and I don't know if it still does this. The open source kind of default Ingress Nginx uh, project for Kubernetes actually worked off of endpoints instead of the service objects itself. So it actually oh, pulled okay. the endpoints from the yeah, yeah. API instead of like looking for the objects. Mm. Uh, the service objects. And so, again, a fundamentally different way for an ingress controller to operate um, mm -hmm. versus what you'd think. And so um, mm. I, I, th I think it's it's one of those things where when you try to oversimplify, you can hurt yourself. But when you try to get overly complex and, and, and too deep in something, you can also uh, spin, spin your cycles. And so I think there's kind of a, a middle ground there that uh, is, is really tricky, a, a balance. So uh, you know, to, to the short answer of your question, I think it's a good thing, but I think it needs to be managed from your, your mental mindset uh, of how you approach these things. Uh, mm. You can say the same about cryptocurrency and too many <laughs> currencies out there and all, all the old coins. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's how you think about it. It's how you digest and process things. It's getting caught up in um, all the excitement around all these new solutions. Because for the most part, a lot of the solutions coming out are just kind of a, a slightly twisted or, or modified yeah, yeah. way of doing something that's already been done. Right. Yeah. So. On that note, we, I wonder to get your opinion on standardization, because you mentioned earlier on at LinkedIn console Istio, right? I'm thinking SMI, like the promise with SMI when it was announced, the service mesh interface, when it was announced yep. at KubeCon yep. a couple of years ago, right? Was, yeah, we even as platform folks don't need to worry too much what's below that line of service mesh interface, mm -hmm. right? SMI gives you like right. traffic management, observability, security, these kind of things. Right. What's your thoughts in general, Mario, about like your like would you adopt look to adopt open standards would you look to contribute to open standards do they help reduce some of that cognitive load you talked about as well yeah i would agree that they they do um 
I'm trying to think, yeah. So I don't know actually a ton about service mesh interface, but I think that's an example where like you actually look at that and you say, okay, so if I find a a, a uh, service mesh that that follows SMI, then I know I'm getting these features by default. Like I know this is what I'm getting. So I think it's if you think of like a customer buying something at a retail store, if it's got a designation on it, that designation tells them something by default, mm. right? It's like it's it like did. looking and seeing that Mario has he's a certified Kubernetes administrator, so he has got some level got a baseline. Of, um, Right. Mm -hmm. However, that's a double-edged sword because I might have studied it a year and a half ago. I might not be doing Kubernetes. I might have not done Kubernetes for the past year. I might have lost a lot of that knowledge or I have a different viewpoint or I haven't, you know, I, I just, I, I didn't actually do that well. I did. I got 1% over the required and I just barely passed, right? That could be the case as well. And so I think there's a middle ground where if you interviewed me, uh, you would have to actually care and ask some questions around the certified Kubernetes exam to make sure I actually am up to speed. I'm not just someone who can read and copy and then do a test. I've actually practically <laughs> yeah, yeah. been able to leverage these things, right? Like, so there's an in-between there. Um, and so I, I don't think it's kind of a perfect indicator. I think it is a better indicator than, than not. Um, but uh, I think going to open source, I know there's open service mesh as well, I think. Oh yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. And I remember, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but I think there was actually code copied from Linkerd. Oh, that's um, right. That I remember. Highlighted. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was highlighted by Oliver um, on, yeah. on the Linkerd side. And so I think what we're getting is open source is amazing. And you can fork and you can, uh, you know, add to projects. You can be uh, a very like dense contributor. You can really do a lot in the ecosystem. And I don't think there's anything bad there. What I think is bad is when the lines start to blur of where the value add actually is and why this solution needs to exist versus the other solutions, right? Um, I think Istio has a market. I think Linkerd mm -hmm. has a market. Mm -hmm. um, at Open Service Mesh, I wasn't really sure on the market. I wasn't really sure on their goals, their principles, their vision for what this thing should be. Uh, and I'm sure it's there's a great one. I'm sure, you know, I, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but when it released, it's like, okay, so there's another solution. Uh, what, what do I get from this? And so I don't have a problem with there being a hundred solutions. What I have a problem with more so is when we say this one is named something and this one, uh, we're trying to start a movement around this and we kind of trick people into thinking that uh, ours is the better one um, because of kind of the, the way that we release or the way the aura around it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, I think, you know, some of that you can, you can fight through. I think SMI helps again, set like a, an entry point to understanding what this gets you. But I think long-term, if I'm picking Linkerd, you know, if I'm picking a, a service mesh like that, this is a pretty, pretty major thing oh, it, great, in the great. critical path of everything mm -hmm. that's going yeah. on. So I don't actually care about what the quick start doc looks like as much as I care about the project's <laughs> vision and mission from its founders and where it's going to be in three years. Cause I'm still mm. going to be you know, using that. Right. So, and maybe I think about this differently. Maybe I'm dumb and we shouldn't care about things and the future and all of that, but I think you have to bet on, you're betting on Linkerd. Yeah, I agree. Linkerd, I agree. Right. Mm, you're, yeah. you're betting, you're getting, I don't want to getting in bed with them. I guess that's <laughs> not the, not the, what, the metaphor I was looking for, but like that is, you know, the, the way I think about it is like, I am not getting the project because it has uh, a really great code base necessarily. Mm -hmm. I am adopting this project into, you know, everything we do in our critical path because of the, the people. And this is when VCs yeah. invest in companies, they don't yeah. really invest in the company. They invest in the, the founder. 100%. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I like it, Ryan. Lots of great content. I really appreciate all your, the, the brain depth knowledge. You mentioned the DCP a few times. If folks are looking to, you know, build a platform, build a DCP, 
What advice would you give them? Maybe it is build versus buy, or maybe it is where mm-hmm. would they start? You mentioned a few times sort of the code ship run, which I think is you know super insightful as well. I just love to get your thoughts on you know what thing. What's the most critical things folks should think about when they are providing this service to their developers? Yeah, that's a really good question. And and you asked before, like you know, what have you seen? You know, people building. Um, and I think honestly, a lot of the time we get talking about something about a unicorn and rainbow scenario, and we don't really, <laughs> we actually don't do a lot of actual work. And so that's why I think that people should, for the most part, defer to what's out there. And even if you don't use anything that's out there, I think you should use the ideas and the learnings from your research and from your your playing around in greenfielding to figure out what is going to work best. I think you can't. You can highlight problems, but you can't offer full 100% this will fix the problem sorts of advice until you've really tried the available options in front of you and really mm-hmm. applied them to your environment and in your ecosystem in your own organization and how your developers work, etc. Um, I think for the most part, you know, I, I look at one of our coworkers that uh, spent the night upgrading GitLab to version 14 um, internally. And I, I think about that and I think you know, I, there's a lot that we have to do. And as mm. a business, I don't think most businesses really need to be in the business of running GitLab, right? Mm. And, and from an operations standpoint. And I think I might be very skewed at StockX. Um, we very much depended on third parties. Like it was like, no question, we were not self-hosting anything. We didn't have the time, the resources, um, and we had enough money that it, was, it made sense to do that. And I actually, I, and I got very spoiled, but I also yeah. realized, you know what? I don't need to really understand how to run Kafka. Like this has done mm-hmm. really well for me already. Um, it solves 98% of what we need, which is just running Kafka well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's not 100% the case for everybody. Everyone's got different use cases. Um, you know, I'm not saying everyone should go out and use a third party tool 100% of the time. But I think that at the very least, you should very much see what's out there. You should get a, you should just soak. You should just mm-hmm. really play around. You should greenfield things. Um, and then make some decisions about where you're at now and where you're going. So this one's a I tricky like one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make a decision, you know, this is where we're at now. We need this solution for this now. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't consider scale uh, later on and not even scale with like the number, but like more scale of like what your needs might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. think there's yeah. a fine line because you can't plan for three years down the road in everything you do at every juncture. Um, that's just not feasible. Um, and it would, you'd spend four months evaluating something before actually trying it and, and, and bringing it into your organization and implementing it, right? So that's not exactly feasible. So you have to figure out for year, yourself uh, what you're trying to do, uh, how it impacts you now and, and how it will impact you in the future. And I think if you use the principles that you've defined already, use the, the mission uh, that you've defined already, in the context of what is best for our developers, what is best for our our own team, what is best for the business and the overall company to achieve the objectives that we all want to achieve. If you think in that context, in every kind of step of um, approaching some a new problem or approaching uh, a set of solutions or approaching a long-term strategy, um, you will be much better off instead of mm-hmm. if you just kind of have this knee-jerk reaction to everything um, and take the first thing that you see on GitHub, right? Um, that's why I think the landscape document that shows 14 trillion things on a fancy little, uh, you know, the CNCF landscape yeah, yeah. Um, PDF, uh, I, I actually think that it's, it's good uh, and bad. It's good in that it shows you everything kind of uh, a plain view, really simple to, to find. It's, it's bad in that we then get the sense and we then discuss, are there too many things? Um, and we, we think of it as a bad thing, which it really isn't. So, um, to, you know, hopefully to answer your question, you know, 
I think that teams should consider, do they want to be managing this thing? I, I like to think about problems in a future sense of, if I did this now, where would I be a year from now? Would the problem mm. be solved still? Yeah. Would my operational uh, maintenance burden be the same or less, right? Yep. Uh, and again, what's favorable for you? Maybe you want more operational burden, whatever that might be. Um, and are we still moving uh, and doing impactful things as an organization? Or is this going to, you know, long-term maybe slow us down or put us in a place where we can't get out of, and then we're really in, you know, a bad rabbit hole that, that just kind of spirals, right? So think about where you, you are now, where you want to be in the future, and how the principles and decisions um, that, you know, decision-making process that you might have already uh, will kind of impact uh, the, you know, what you want to do. So that's, Hopefully I didn't go around in circles and kind of answer the question, but it's very different for everybody. So Yeah, 100%. I also almost had you use a finance metaphor talking about buying options, right? You're kind of buying yourself yeah. options that you can exercise in the future, right? right? And, and exactly. it's making those smart decisions up front, but I'm balancing the risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, 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 let's, let's go down the finance rabbit hole. I love this. There's going to be turbulent pieces, right? They, like yeah. nothing in life is like perfect hundred percent of the time. Like there's going to be turbulent portions where you have to think, is this thing actually going to help me? Is, is our buddy or, or my coworker updating GitLab to four, version 14? Like, is that going to be good long-term? Well, mm. we can bet that, okay, it's a newer version. It's got some new features, some fixes, you know, ideally it should be good. But we've actually already had an issue come up about an hour ago where something broke. Mm. And so in the short term, we didn't consider the consequences of getting to that desired state. Right. Yeah, we yeah. just kind of we jumped in a little bit, maybe too fast or we didn't have controls in place that said, well, well, how are we testing that this functionality that we're looking for or that this upgrade that sounds amazing is actually good for what we're trying to do. And now we've got a slew of developers here. I'm looking at my Slack <laughs> that are <laughs> no, asking no. about, uh, hey, like this isn't working anymore. I'm getting this weird cryptic error. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that's the other side of this is, well, how do we how do we test GitLab? Like how, what yeah. can we run their get their public? Do they have a suite of of end to end mm -hmm. tests that we can run every time we upgrade? Right. Like, they, you know, they a they don't B uh, this burden is now on you because you run the service. And as soon as you put yourself in that critical path, that's when that's when the, the, the paradigm uh, changes with how the organization depends on you. That's where the mm -hmm. ad hoc requests start flying in. That's where your your um, burden is so heavy that you don't actually find yourself doing projects that are really meaningful to anybody mm -hmm. on the team. So <laughs> yeah, man, I feel you. I've been there. I've <laughs> been in the past life yep. with my, my various roles, right? Yeah, awesome. This has been fantastic. Is there anything you want to say that we haven't covered? I don't think so. I think, um, you know, Ambassador, um, Spotify releasing Backstage, um, Crossplane.io. Uh, yep. I think there are projects now that are coming out that are saying, let's stop writing YAML. Let's generate the YAML for you based on a couple of things that you want to do, mm. right? Let's, yep. let's mm. make sure that whoever it is that's making the decision about what needs to happen, i.e. the developer, can do this so in a simple, effective way, and they can see the results of that, right? And mm -hmm. the other part of this might be measurement and kind of observability components. Um, I, I think if there's anything I leave people with, it's that... Uh, a lot of the problems that you might be seeing or that you might be encountering that you, you your your brain has this kind of instant reaction to whereas you know we can solve this if we have more documentation or we can solve this if we do um we change the system we're using or we change and modify that script i actually think that a lot of the problems can be solved by approaching them from a human 
soft skills standpoint of how someone interacts and operates uh, mm. and what they're trying to do. So um, trying to think about this, like a, a metaphor, maybe buying a car, right? Most people, when they buy a car, they just need to understand how the windshield wipers work, right? Like it's a very simple thing. Why do they need to do that? Because uh, they need to make sure the windshield is clear. So we just broke down that problem, right? We didn't say like what size windshield wipers, what what like what company, what you know. There's there's thirteen thousand things that are nuances about windshield wipers. Yeah. But really, what is the key thing is we need to wipe the windshield and keep it clean when it's raining, right? Mm. So if you break down the um, the human part of that to what someone might be trying to achieve in the organization, mm. it can put you on the same kind of thinking field. Empathy as them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I'm just so tired of seeing teams that they, they basically, while they're having all these problems, they're really annoying. I wish they would just get it. Why don't they do the research? Why don't they, well, no, it's actually probably something that's kind of complex and you didn't do anything to, to really solve for the UX side of it. I think user experience Ooh, is a huge yeah, thing here. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll leave people with that and thinking that a lot of these problems are not hard problems they are actually kind of soft skill focused problems, right? You, you, your, your SDO isn't actually the problem. It's how people interact, <laughs> understand and uh, deploy uh, in an SDO environment that hasn't been well-defined, right? So yeah, um, yeah I, I just urge people to think in that mindset um, and, you know, the, the new tools that are out there, I love, I think Terraform is a great tool. I personally don't like writing Terraform. I, ter I try to tell people that I'm rusty with it. So that <laughs> nice. They don't, they don't like elect me to do it. And the reason for that is that I don't think we should really have to sit and write YAML files to define our infrastructure. I actually think that I should be able, you know, I should be able to go to AWS and just create whatever I want. And then that should just be automatically, there should be, um, you know, uh, processes that take that and like save that for me as spit a, out declaration, declaration. exactly mm -hmm. a, a declaration right so instead of we're, we're we're moving out of the like manual declaration mm -hmm. i want to get to automated declaration of infrastructure and that's even less mm -hmm. work for the you know the operations engineers to do but then when we need it it's there you know um so that's an example i think where we're solving the human side of that we're taking off the burden of well to implement this feature it actually takes a week because we have to write yaml but i could go in the aws console and do it in 20 minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so yeah um yeah so I'll, I'll end with that there's probably a lot of other things i i could uh, mention to people i actually wrote an internal paper on developer Ooh. experience more so oh, from wow. the, the side of building a developer experience team um, at Carta and something Ooh, that they've been kind of trying to do, which I think when you get to a size, uh, a certain size, this might make sense. Um, but you know, I, there's a lot of things that I like for a whole weekend, I just wrote and I love doing that. But the problem is that if you try to read it, it doesn't read very well. So <laughs> I will do some editing and at some point release these to the, some, some of those maybe snippets or, or pieces that, uh, a lot of what I've been saying today, um, brilliant, you know, it's, it kind of regurgitates that and makes it a little bit more clear. Um, hopefully on a blog or something like that, maybe even call Riley and write a book with oh, too right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no, I, I honestly love this topic, and and I, you know, I would love to chat with anyone who wants to discuss more about it. So I'm always learning. So awesome stuff, man. Folks, like, do want to reach out to you? Where can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah, uh, I'm at Mario P. Laurie on Twitter. Uh, actually, you can find pretty much everything about me at my my personal splash page, uh, MarioLoria.dev. Um, and you know, I, I'm most active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, so please feel free to to communicate and reach out. Um, I think that, 
those are the key places to reach me. Um, I'm always kind of in the Kubernetes Slack as well, uh, working on um, the Kubernetes office hours. There's a monthly panel where we oh, help nice, people with nice. Kubernetes mm-hmm. issues. So join the hashtag office hours in, in Slack. And, uh, uh, you know, just uh, I'm usually at Mario or at Emloria in these Slacks. Usually I can get Mario. Usually I can. <laughs> nice. So, um, you know, please reach out. Uh, again, I love talking about these things. I actually do consulting as well. Um, around kind of the, the mentality of approaching these problems and when mm. people get to certain junctures, what where is the decision making process to figure out, do I double down on GKE autopilot or do I do yeah, something yeah, else, yeah. right? And so um, I love hearing um, about how we got here and then how we get there, right? That's kind of, you know, what got you to a certain point might not get you. Yeah, further. 100%, so, 100%. Um, yep, so we'd love to t- chat with anybody. Awesome, Mario. Awesome. Well, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. This has been sure. like super insightful, like trying to brain double notes. It's been fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.